Good morning. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Acts 1, verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have, been, uh, you have seen him go into heaven. The author of Acts is a guy named Luke. And Luke uh, writes this book called Luke. And he writes about the account of Jesus and um, gives a picture and a story, a narrative of, of the life of Jesus. And then he was doing such a great job that he goes to uh, a part two and he talks about Acts. And, and in the, he writes the book of Acts. And Acts is the account of the church. It's what happens when, when Jesus leaves his disciples and hands over to his disciples this mission of renewing all of creation to God. Uh, but he begins this book with a very unique image, a very unique picture of, of something. And, and as a writer, you, you would think he could use anything he wants. He could, he could use any type of story. He could, he could make any point that he wants as he's telling this account of Christ's life and, and what Jesus did right before he ascends into heaven. But he, he gives us this image that I really want to play with this morning as we talk about what it means for our church to live on mission over this next season. Um, but in order to do that, I need some volunteers. The disciples were probably late teens, early 20s. The life expectancy in Galilee was about 40 years of age. So we need, I'm going to grab seven of you or eight of you. I need four guys and four girls uh, to just come forward. Um, don't all raise your hand. Right now, four 20, young 20-somethings and early te- uh, late teens. Can you raise your hands now? Come, yeah, come up, come up. Uh, yeah, come on, come up. You, I saw your hand. Come here. We've got, come on, move fast. You can come. All right. Now we need three girls. Emma, you're not looking at me on purpose. Come on. <laughs> okay, who, who can I pick on? Um, come on, seriously. We need a, this is a great illustration. Thank you. One more. One more. Do we have another guy? Um, okay, we'll do this. We'll do six. This is great. All right, you stand up. I like how you've separated yourselves. Uh, it's like junior high dance right now. Um, can I have you guys stand in a circle? Why don't you back up a little bit? Okay, you come here. You, you can make a circle right here. Perfect. There you go. Don't look at each other. Back up, back up, back up. Spread out. Now I want you to just look like right at that, that thing right there. You're going to hurt your neck, but just look straight up. Okay, so just don't, you're going to want to, especially if you're single, to look at the guy next to you uh, or across from you, but don't just look up. The picture Luke gives us, the image he gives us of the church before it is born, of when Jesus ascends into heaven, is a picture of this. Stay here for a little bit. Um, symbols are interesting because symbols are basically something that represents something else. Like, for example, um, I have here the Eiffel Tower. What does this represent? The Eiffel Tower or a trip I took to Paris with my wife and friends, right? This has significant meaning. It sits on our dresser and it reminds me of the 
beautiful time and the cappuccinos and all of that stuff. I have a metro ticket for $1.50 on August 11th. My wife and I took a bunch of our friends to the Art Walk in downtown LA for our birthdays and this was this represents that whole experience in this trip. I'm kind of one of those hoarders and collectors and I really put meaning behind the most ridiculous things. This is great. I love this is the perfect illustration of symbolic. This is glass with paper in it. It has no meaning to you whatsoever, does it? But there's so much symbolism here for me. This, my wife wrote all these affirmations and she put it next to my bed. Because my words of, of love, words of knowledge, the love language is words of affirmation. So I, I wake up to this every day and getting this thing that represents my wife, especially when she's gone. This is, has so much meaning and symbol, it's an image, and, and I brought my, some of my journals, I like to journal, I'm kind of nerdy, and these are the last six years of my life, and as someone who journals about life and experience, what you won't find in one of these journals is uh, a conversation about what I ate two years ago, or w- what my, my uh, agenda was for a particular work week, but what you will discover are, uh, is, is uh, a description of powerful experiences, of pain, of prayer, of hope. Things that really mattered in that time were written in my journal. I wasn't, I'm not really a journaler that's like, oh, I, I spent some time with some friends today and I had this bowl of soup and it was good. Um, it could use some salt. But instead, there's, there's significant purpose and meaning behind what I'm writing. When we look at the book of Acts, it's unique um, because the book of Acts is, is not necessarily the same type of occasional letters that you find in the New Testament, but, but uh, it is an occasional letter. It's written to a guy named Theophilus by a guy named Luke, and he's writing to give an account for what happened with Jesus and what happened after Jesus. He's writing a, 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 a historical account for what happened. And so for us to begin discussing mission and life as a church in the early story of, of, of Acts, we have to begin with this image in our mind. Two men come up to these disciples and say, Why are you staring into the sky? Why are you staring into the sky? You guys can sit down. Thank you for illustrating a great point. Thank you. Round of applause. Why are you staring into the sky? This I brought. I didn't tell you what this was. This is a a bat that's in my closet. I live in Long Beach, of course. And uh, (laughs) I have a wife and kids eventually. But this is not just a baseball bat. And it doesn't represent protection because I don't know if I would use it. Uh, I would be too scared. Um, no, but I would use Krav Maga because I've done that before. Um, no, but this is my uh, first home run bat in Little League. And this is in my house now as something else, but it symbolizes that first home run and the last home run I've ever had. But um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I have this little thing that someone gave to me at my wedding, um, my wife and I, and it's, it's like this little Hallmark thing 
But it's, it's really, I, I, for some reason, this was so symbolic to me and it actually broke and I had to like glue it together and stuff. But this represents something so significant. And as we come this morning to this symbol, this image, that why, and on my back's to you on purpose, why are we beginning the story of Acts with this great picture of Jesus ascending into heaven, clouds making him disappear, and the disciples standing, staring, and completely fixed on the sky. Have you ever asked that question? I've got all of your attention. Let's go to Acts 1, verse 1. It says this, In the former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day He was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles He had chosen. After His suffering, He presented Himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that He was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says to wait in Jerusalem for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I just want to make sure we, we, we get some, some things that are going on. Luke writes as a brilliant author, some really important things that we need to grasp. He says that Jesus tells them to wait in Jerusalem. The story begins in Acts in Jerusalem. Okay, It starts in Jerusalem. And he says to wait for the Holy Spirit and they will receive power from the Holy Spirit. They will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And their very next question after they're told to wait and they're going to be baptized in the Spirit, this divine presence, is uh, it says in verse 6, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? The disciples are so fixed on the kingdom being established on earth in a physical, tangible kingdom. And Jesus says, you still don't get it, do you? It's it's like, come on, are you still caught up with this? Instead, he says, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Listen to this. Jesus doesn't find the end times interesting, does he? It's not for you to know. He's not concerned about us being left behind, is he? That's just a side note for you guys. Um, That's the free one I give out once in a while. He's not concerned about the end of time. It's, It's the Father's business. Don't worry about it. And then he gives the mission to the church. This, if you want to in a nutshell know, according to Luke, what the mission of the church is. What is its mission statement? What are we gathered around? It's this Statement in verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's when Jesus said this. He was taken up and they're looking intently and someone asks them, why are you looking up into the sky? Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power, so you will receive the divine presence. The word for power is uh, dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. And uh, it's, we're going to receive this power from God to be the witnesses. The word witness is martyria. It's where we get the word martyr. 
It's not witnessing necessarily of going outside and grabbing your Bible and thumping it around and trying to convince with truth that God exists and all of that stuff. That's an aspect of witness, but it's so much more. Martyria, it means, it means to testify with your life about the resurrection reality. It means to live in such a way that people see are witnessing the truth of what you believe in your faith. That's what he says, is that you're going to be witnesses. All of you are going to receive power to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Now here's the deal. He says you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's easy. But he puts in that statement and in Judea and Samaria. Judea and Samaria. Now some of us are thinking, well, I know my map, I know my geography. Judea was just the surrounding region of Jerusalem and just north of that is Samaria. So yes, he's talking about the surrounding regions of that time and then obviously to the ends of the earth. But it's so much more than that. If, if you had a first century lens, to hear in the sentence in Greek, Judea and Samaria, it's like saying you will go to the Tea Party and the Taliban. You will go to the KKK in 1960s and to the Black Panther Party. You will go to the most ethnically diverse. You will go to the worst of the worst. You will go to the two groups that absolutely despise and hate each other. You will go to them as well. The gospel is a dynamic, ever-expanding reality that transcends uh, ethnic, cultural, social uh, boundaries and divisions. The gospel is designed to just spread. We, we totally miss this. I mean, in the first century, if you lived in Judea, you despised Samaritans. If you wanted to go across to, uh, through Samaria, you, instead of going the direct route, you would take a route around Samaria to get to the point you needed to go to. You absolutely hated them. And vice versa. And to put it in, in terms of understanding, Jesus is saying, you're going to be in uncomfortable situations. You're going to preach to places that you've been told by all of your ancestors and relatives to not go and hang out with those. That's where the gospel is designed to go. That's where it's supposed to spread. To the broken, to the hurting, to the places that make you feel uncomfortable, to the places that you don't speak the same language, to the places that, that don't necessarily fit in, that you don't have on your top five AT&T. Um, those places, those types of people, that's where the gospel is supposed to spread. And if you try to contain it, if you try to make a church wrap around some homo- homogeneous, if you want to be an all-white suburban church, it's not going to work that way. It's got to spread. And it's got to go. And the way it's going to spread is when you receive power from the Spirit and you live as my witness to everyone. That's the message that Luke gives us in the beginning of the church. And they hear this. They hear this provocative, compelling, outrageous command from Jesus to go to the Bloods and the Crips, to go to the terrorists and the right-wing Republicans, to do everything that is so unnatural in our cultural expectations and conditions. And they hear this, and Luke says that they are staring into the sky. I think if he would retell this story, if he would retell this story, I think he would talk 
tell it in a way like this. The, 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 the followers of Jesus were given this great command to go into the inner city to, to become friends with people that speak different languages, to use their resources and talents and treasures and, and, and their time to bless those that would never bless them back. And then the story ends with Jesus leaving them and then they sit around in white chairs and talk about what Jesus just said. And maybe it would read, two guys came up and said to the church, why are you just sitting there? Why are you just sitting and singing songs? This image is the image that Luke begins his gospel or his story of Acts with. It's way more compelling than this. <laughs> or this, or any of the stuff I could potentially write, it, it is symbolizing what's going on. And it's so fascinating because if you follow the book of Acts, it, they don't even leave Jerusalem until Acts chapter 8. And they leave because they get persecuted. Do you know this? The disciples, I mean, the gospel spreads all over Jerusalem. But we finally get the, they finally get it when persecution breaks out and these everyday ordinary people go on preaching the gospel, proclaiming the kingdom. It says in Acts 8, Philip, the, the potluck associate, the guy that was just passing out food to widows, he, he goes into a city in Judea. Or is it Samaria? I just forgot. Um, in Acts 8, this, he, you can look at that real quick if you want. Um, but he goes to a city in um, Samaria and he proclaims the, uh, Jesus Christ. He proclaims the Messiah. He performs signs and miracles, casts out demons. Many people are healed. And it says that there was great joy in the city. He follows through with this. And the gospel, the, the mission of the church is being fulfilled by everyday, ordinary people. It spreads. And you can't contain it. Also in Acts 8, Philip goes to a road in Ethiopia, uh, uh, to in Gaza, or on a road to Gaza, and there's an Ethiopian eunuch going home. And the guy becomes a Christian. He's baptized or he gets saved. And, and uh, it says that he, takes, he then leaves and goes back to Ethiopia. And what's going on with that story of this Ethiopian being baptized and being carried back as an official into the Ethiopian church? Well, in the first century, the, name, uh, the nickname in the first century in the Roman Empire for, the, uh, for Ethiopia, which is modern day Sudan, was the ends of the earth. They're standing, persecution breaks out, and the gospel is spread by the everyday, ordinary folk in the church that just carry as witnesses to the places that they never wanted to go in the first place. And the, the gospel just goes on and on and on to where it begins in Acts 1 with, with the, uh, Luke saying that Jesus preached the kingdom of God in Jerusalem, and it ends in Acts 28 with Paul Preaching what? The kingdom of God in Rome. To the heart of the Roman Empire. It starts in the small community in Galilee and it spreads and spreads and spreads and spreads. Why am I talking about staring up into the sky and talking about the mission of the church? Well, for me, this morning is about casting vision, which I, I really have come to the place where I really thought I was a great visionary, but the more and more I think about it, the less and less I want to compel anyone by words. 
And the more and more I just want to present what we have and allow the Holy Spirit to bring whatever it is that He's given you gifting and grace and passion and heart for and for you to get on board and come on and help us mobilize efforts. And so we're talking about the city. We're talking about what it means for us to be a church that lives out its mission uniquely in the city. And so for us, when we, when we tell the story of our church, we have to go to the text. We have to look at what the church was intended to be in the first place and how we can contextualize that in our modern day context in Long Beach, in our neighborhoods, with our friends, our family members. This is our two year anniversary as a church. Happy birthday to the garden. Um, happy birthday to you guys. It's a big deal. There have been lots of churches in Long Beach. There are more coming, and it's a great thing. And we get to celebrate on, uh, on this day our story. And I, I shared a little bit last week about us f- trying to embody the message of love. Us trying to embody being a type of community that loves in such a way that people know that there's a God. And that that is an uh, uh, a emphasis. And if you look on this card, there's two sides. There's city and community. If you look at community, it talks about, hey, these are the areas we really just call everyone to. We want everyone to be in community groups. These are intentional places for us to be discipled, but for us to be invested in people, invested in, in our communities, in our neighborhoods. Um, they're missional. Which there's so much more information on, online, but, but we want everyone in our church to be in these community groups. And the second thing is the only way we can develop this type of love is if we're developed in the Holy Spirit, that we live radically a life of the Spirit. Not just here on Sundays, but everywhere we go. We're just Spirit-filled people living out our mission, living out our calling in the everyday, ordinary things. As, as a, as a, a stay at home mom, as a student, as a teacher, as a business owner, it doesn't matter, spirit filled missionary in your workplace where you are. So that's, that was last week. This week, we're talking about something far greater than just our local church. We're talking about what does it mean for us to exist as a local church body. When we set out to plant this church, unfortunately for me, and probably fortunately for us, I never had a vision for a church. The, church, the community that came, you know, there was like five or ten of us. We never had a vision to, to be a church. We had a vision for a city. I think what happens is it, people have vision for community or vision for local churches, but, but what happens is they, they just have that, but I think God calls us to make disciples and have vision for cities or, or renewal because when we have a vision for a city, we, as a byproduct, we, we get the church. When disciples live out their faith, they do church. That's a whole other conversation. But for us, we had a vision to, to, to make a difference, to say what would it look like for a bunch of disciples to live on faith, to not sit in a chair on Sundays, not just throw money in a bucket, not just mark it off the list, but to really get the things that Jesus talks about, to really embody it, to, to love their friends in a way that is so compelling, to pray for people and not just say it trivially, uh, in, in a trivialized way, but to really pray, to pray for healing and to see it happen, to do the things that Jesus did. What if we could do that here in the city? That was the dream. That was the vision. It was, let's just go. What, what if the homeless community that, that uh, could be embraced in a way that they're, it wasn't like they were, it was us and them, but they were, they were family? What if it was multicultural and ethnic and, and every, what if we just tried this out? That meant for us that the vision we had had to be way bigger than a local church. It had to be the DNA of the gospel. 
of having the mind of Jesus to lay it down and to live it out. That's what we get at. And what we decided early on is that, that that's what we wanted to be known as. That we wanted to have tangible impact in this place. And not, you could live in Seal Beach, you can live in Orange County, you can live in Redondo. But for us, uh, we want to empower those places too. But as a local church, we said this city has so much need. What would it look like for us to go deep in a few areas? I mean, when I came here and I was reading the statistics, and you can read all about it online, you can go to different churches, people are telling me this and that and this. And it's like you could spend your entire life in the city as a nonprofit investing in one tiny area, and it would just scratch the surface of the amount of need, of the amount of pain, of the amount of injustice and brokenness that this one city has. It's phenomenal. And so two years ago to the day, we, we had our stage set up like this. We were in the night service and, and I brought Bill and I said, Bill, I want us to teach at our first service together because I don't want to build a church on one personality. I want us to have lots of worship leaders. I want to be team-led in everything because it's, if it's a one-person one movement, it's a one-generational movement. It will die with whoever's leading. But if we spread it out, if we have plurality in leadership, if we have multiple people leading multiple things, if there's a community of leaders carrying the weight of this church, then, then this potentially could be way bigger than the garden. It could be way bigger than any of us. And we've always said that we're not defining our, our church by membership. We're defining it by shared values. We're defining it by those of us that say, yes, I want to live out my faith where I work. Yes, I, I want to practice a life of mission and worship. Yes, I want to belong to a community. I believe in Jesus and I want to live a spirit-filled life that's, that's partnered with the Word. If you believe in those things, if you value those things, then great. You share the DNA of the garden. And so for us, we're able to connect with other churches, other organizations, other smaller, smaller house churches, and we say, great, we want, to, we want to partner, we want to associate, we want to be, belong to one another, we want to be together. That's kind of the DNA of the garden. In other words, we don't want to say, this is the garden. Instead, we want to just, this is who we are. Let's allow it to spread over here and over there at the Fifth Street Community Garden at someone's workplace, in the prayer group, in the inner city, at, the homeless, uh, at Lincoln Park, dealing with the homeless community, and over here, we just see aspects of life-giving mission bursting all over the place. That is the garden at its best. That's what it means to be a part of the garden, where we don't see, uh, we don't see missions as a program. We see the church as the missionary does that make sense? We see all of us as the missionary. We have the potential to do extraordinary things in the in the city, in all these different neighborhoods. But we have to grasp that the only way it's going to get done is if you live a spirit-empowered life as a witness. So how do I cast vision to say, "Oh, let's grab onto these things"? The first place I go is, brothers and sisters, would you take seriously the call that you are called to be witnesses? to the areas of your life that you've never wanted to participate in, to the communities that you might have closed the door on, to the, to the region right north of you and right south of you, and potentially the ends of the earth, whatever that means to you. I really believe that Long Beach was the ends of the earth when I heard, it, heard the call. But I love the city, and now it's like, it's like, I don't know, it's amazing. Are you with me on that? So as we celebrate a story, we celebrate... Not one story. We celebrate hundreds of stories. We celebrate things that have just taken place and happened because leaders have said, or just not even leaders, people in the church that have said yes to Jesus, say yes to this call, and things happen. 
And if we're going to continue to be a church in, of the city and for the city, in the city, we need everyone on board to say, what is God saying to me? What am I called to? What it, what, how about this? What gives you energy? What brings like, excitement to your life when you think about what God could do through your life? Some of you might be so far from doing anything for, for someone else, and that's okay, but, but God has a journey for us all. And so let's start asking this question, what does this mean for me? How do I live as a gardener? How do I expand the mission that God has for us? How do I live empowered in ordinary ways? Those questions are what we want to be asking, not from the top down, not from, from just community group standpoint, but from everyone getting on board. Are you with me on that? So, um, yeah. Pull this out real quick. I don't really have um, much more to say because I, um, I wanted to just talk about this and maybe ask you guys to pray. You know, it's really easy, um, I think, to, to get really good content, to have a really compelling, convicting message, to, um, to have it three steps into participating to check it off the list. It's really easy to get people to sign up to go to an event. But to get someone's heart to be compelled by the Holy Spirit, to do the thing out of their desire to be like Jesus, is so much harder. It's like throwing seeds out to soil, hoping that some will land. And my hope today is that we just get it together. And that there would be seeds that land today that produce a hundredfold of ministry. So, as we pray about our church, as we prayed about going deep as a church, we have so many connections to other organizations, but we just said we want to, we want to go deep. And there are significant needs in the city. And so for us, as the garden, for this next season, we really want to do a good job in these areas. And they're going to grow as people bring imagination and desire and excitement and, and passion and time to these things. But first of all, the Fifth Street Community Garden. We have a community garden. Whether some of you have been there or not, um, our church has invested in one neighborhood. We're invested wherever you guys live, but really intentionally, we're investing on Fifth and Cerritos in, in about 7,000 square feet of space that was given to us that we built this community garden that's run by neighbors. That's, um, there's people that go there often. But what we've decided is, we've just said, we want to continue to tell this story. Could we get people that are passionate to, to spend time and developing that street, re- renovating that street, would, wouldn't it be amazing if some of you college students would say, hey, let's get a house and live on 5th Street and dream about what it would look like to be nannies, to be mechanics, to be handymen, to be uh, after-school school tutors, to paint, to be repair service, to, to be at the 5th Street Garden, but to be a presence in the neighborhood that redeems that neighborhood. What would it look like for us as a church to say, let's just go after this one little block and bless the heck out of it in the name of Jesus? That's what we're saying. It's very tangible. We want everyone to be invested there. We've asked our community group leaders to think about hosting a barbecue once a week or once a month so that there's, there's a barbecue there every single week. 
We've asked people to sign up and join that, that leadership team that's planning the Halloween event, that does the, the after-school things. There's, there's something going on almost every day. But we need volunteers. We need people to get passion behind that. But really, I don't want to convince you. I want you, as an individual, to ask Jesus if this is what he's calling you to. Look at it. All the information's there. Consider what this, this season might look like of just investing once a week, an hour, to going over there and just building relationships over time. Who knows what could happen? Second thing is women. Uh, you know, there's, I don't know if you know the statistics, 53% of all families are single mom families in the city of Long Beach. Single moms. And uh, we have a group of people in our church, men and women, that have said this, this number is too high and we need to do something about it. They don't even know exactly what, what they're going to do. We partner with a, a homeless preschool for, for kids that are, are homeless and they're, they're, they're single mom parents. And we've, we're, we're starting a mentor program with them. Um, we have Women's Connect, which is a ministry that's focused missionally. They're getting women together. They're creating a space that can become a resource and a mission place to, to impact those women that are in a place of need. 53% of, uh, of um, all... Uh, people living under poverty are single mom families too, by the way. 33% of all children in our city live below the poverty line. But women is something that we want to connect. Some of you have a passion for women. You have a passion to, to, to mentor and to disciple or to, to encourage and, and just bless. Would you consider being on board, helping us fight that statistic? That we can bless families, that we can babysit, that we can take in the orphans, adopt some kids, support the families that are in need. What could you do as an 18-year-old, as a 47-year-old? And if this is just going over your head, well, you know what? Um, That's great. Maybe you're new and that's totally fine. But this is what we're going to be about as a church. Um, the, the third thing is the youth ministry. And I'm, I'm excited for this. I mean, gosh, 33% of the youth in the city live below the poverty line. The number one thing in North Long Beach that churches compete against, youth groups compete against, are gangs. There's no young life in the city of Long Beach. There um, are uh, 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 in 7 out of 10 African American families in Long Beach don't have a father in the home. are living without fathers. 53% are single moms. So we have a fatherless generation. Could you mentor a child for one hour a week? Could you help start the Young Life for Long Beach and create a club that evangelizes and cares for youth? Could we make a difference as a church in this statistic? I don't know what you're passionate about. Maybe the things that excite you are like traveling. Maybe you're excited about your job and your career and getting that bigger that house and the new iPhone 4S, which some of us have previously ordered. Things like that. But is your heart after the things that Jesus is after? And maybe it's not about this, and that's okay. We want to empower you to live where you are. But as a church, we're just asking, I'm just throwing this out. Would you look at this and consider what it means to be a part of our church in this way. All right? So we're called to two things, community and city. We want to to love each other well and we want to invest everything we have in this city to make this city a better place, to transform it, to partner in the renewal of what's happening here. We want to, we want to, support, we want to come along churches. We want to come, al- come along other organizations. We want to come around the things that you guys have vision for, people within our church have vision for. Um, 
I'm going a little longer, but I need to say this. We're looking at getting a building. I think I shared that last week. We're looking at potentially getting a space on 5th and Pine, right up the street. A, a big space, three times the size of this space. But the vision behind it, and it's a crazy deal. It's like God's literally handing, it, it might not work out, but God's like handing this thing to us. Um, and, he, you know, it's happened before, but we'll see. But the vision we have for it is not a place for us to worship on Sunday. I mean, that will be one aspect. But I've just been getting, I want to, I mean, I've just been going nuts thinking about, man, let's start an art program for the city of Long Beach. They don't have art in the schools anymore. Let's, let's get all of our artists, our musicians, our actors, our actresses, our designers. Let's do that. Let's, let's fund that as a church. Let's, let's start a parenting program. Let's do financial peace classes. Let's, let's do an after-school program. If you ask the moms in the inner city what they, need, they want more than anything, they say they want more after-school programs. Great, let's start it. We have people. We could potentially have a building. Let's do it together. But we need to mobilize each other, guys. We need to get behind it. But we only gotta, we're only going to do it if you feel compelled by the Spirit. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. Because the last thing I want to be known for is, is either staring up in the sky or being a church that sang some good songs and sat on Sundays. Because this is, you know, we set these things up, but imagine if we had our own building and this was a little more comfortable. You know, it had a little cushion here. It's a little thicker. May had some armrests. Had a coffee holder. Didn't smell like smoke. Unless we keep the mission at our heart, we will lose what God's called us to. Amen. So, guys, um, last thing. Just I, I know I threw so much out, but one more thing that's really cool. Um, I really believe that planning churches is the most effective way to transforming a city. Not just one church, but lots and lots and lots of churches. uh, Church plants are where you see more more new Christians, more new faith happen. You see creativity. You see new leadership raised up. You see uh, just this this kind of missional posture in church planting because you've got to fill the seats. Um, and you've got to get people in. And, and so I, I've always felt that because I was a church planner, but there are, there are church plants coming in that we want to get behind and support. Um, one of the things that the Garden is helping pioneer as a church is part, we're part of something called Vision 360. You'll hear more about this in the future. But it's an organization that is, has, it's all over the world, but it's coming to the city. It's got uh, seven other churches, including the Garden and their lead pastors around the table, saying how, to, how do we resource the city to plant churches together? How, you know, we have Grace Brethren, we have Antioch, we have, um, uh, we have um, uh, Park Crest, both campuses. We have um, Light and Life. We have dozens of churches, 20 other churches that are on board that have said, okay, guys, we're putting money in the pot, we're putting time in the pot, we're putting our resources, and let's just plan it together. And our goal is, as, as a church, as an organization with churches, is to plant 50 churches in five years in Long Beach. One of the visions we have in the season is to be, we're pioneering potentially what church plants will look like in the future in the city of Long Beach. That we have become a model, and, and, and I use that very um, loosely, but, but in many ways a missional approach to this, this, this way of doing church and we're, we're helping pioneer and support other church planners by just being a church. So that's the other thing that we're investing in this year as we think about transforming the city. And um, so anyways, we're going we're gonna to invite you to participate in that in the season to come because we're going we're gonna to need to send some of you out to help plant other churches. 
to equip and raise and support and be leaders in those other churches that come. That's what we want to do. I mean, we just want to give it away. And even if that means we give it away to where we have nothing left, fine. That's all right. But that's the heart we have at this church. Amen? Let's see this in closing. Um, would you just close your eyes for a second? I don't know how to end except to invite God to uh, do this with us and for us. Um, maybe it finally clicked that, that the way Luke starts off his story in Acts with the disciples staring into the sky really kind of settles into what you're, you've experienced and lived out. Or maybe just you're convicted over the fact that you've sat at many churches, that it's been about you and how you're fed and what's convenient for you. Well, if that's you, would you just, maybe just, you don't, I don't want you to do anything other than just share that with God. Just say, here I am, Lord. And would you just invite the Holy Spirit? We're going to worship, but I just want to encourage you, we'll just give you some time of silence, just to ask Jesus, Lord, what are you asking me to do?